With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. Let's get ready. It's showtime, folks. Bradley changed my favorite one. Here on BZ has some fun. Say your theories put to test. Won't you call some more? Jay talking. Jay, they're wonderful people. With Bradley Jay. Hey, we're going to nip this in the bud. I don't care what time it is. We're going to go talk this thing out. WBZ News Radio 1030. WBZ, you're Jay talking. We're live midnight to five. If you're like me, you go to the market and you wonder, should I be getting organic food? You think, if I don't get organic food, maybe I'm eating poison. That's what I think. That's my, my, my number one dilemma there. But I got to wonder if organic food is for real got to find out if it's worth it maybe it's for real in some cases maybe it's worth it in some cases and not in others we'll find out close as we can tonight julie rossen executive director of nofa northeast organic farming association is with us hello how you doing julie hi bradley good thanks for for joining us yeah let's start at the at the back now and talk about misconceptions about organic food what's true and what's not mm-hmm. um that's your question for me i guess it is yeah um well organic food um has been uh has been defined since the um organic food production act came in to play well it was the bill came in in 1990 there was finally finally became um uh, you know, active, I guess, in 2002 when they were able to get the standards um, put together and the USDA started doing certifying organic. Uh, uh, prior to that time, there were a number of organizations. I think there were 44 separate certifiers across the country, and many of them had started certifying in around the mid-'80s, I would say. Um, they started in the mid-'80s, and continued to be certifying state agencies, sometimes with a, a state government agency, or in our case, actually, NOFA used to certify. We certified from 86 to um, 2002 when the USDA took over. Um, but certification um, was put in place so that consumers would recognize and know, have a, you know, have some sense of um, um, comfort, I guess, that their food was grown in an organic fashion. Okay. So let's now start at the beginning. If I eat non-organic food, am I getting poisoned? Um, well, probably. Yes, I would say you probably are. Um, there's, a, there's a very interesting book out um, that I think everybody should read. It's called Whitewash, and it was written by Carrie Gillum. It came out in 2017 where she really discusses the use particularly of um, glyphosate, um, and which is glyphosate, sometimes people don't know that word, but it's, if you hear the word Roundup, um, you know, which is a very common 
pesticide that's used, um, and certainly in a lot of food production all over the world, but also people use it in their backyards and on their lawn, on their front uh, patios and their driveways and such to kill to to kill um, you know green growing things. Um, but glyphosate is not the only one. There are a lot of different chemicals that are present in today's food supply. Um, since about 1945, when um, companies like Dow Chemical and DuPont were spending a lot of money in, in the Second World War on um, you know, toxic gases, essentially, for chemical warfare and a lot of other things, um, there was a, a need from their standpoint to find a place to continue those profits, and they came home and from the war and then started um, working with scientists to figure out how they could use them in agriculture. And that was kind of when the chemical revolution began, as I would put it, um, where we in our country, 1945 to 55, you know, got really seriously involved in um, using chemicals in agriculture to kill things mostly. So they didn't go looking for some solution to a pest problem. They they were looking for a solution to how do we make money with this now that the war's over. Well, that would be the jaded view of it. Yes, I think. I mean, I don't know, I'm jaded, but I think probably accurate. I think a lot of times uh, chemical companies are looking for a way to make money, and they often are. They have incredibly intelligent marketing people in their organizations to sell people on that idea. And they also um, oftentimes pay for university research. Um, a lot of these universities that were doing really good jobs um, in the early part of the 20th century um, doing research on how people could be better farmers. And um, a lot of that research got turned on its head when these companies came and really bought um, that research, in, you know, going into the future. Okay. And, and it's kind of going, some of that is getting better now. A lot of, a lot of like Cornell and UMass and a lot of these places are, are really, you know, getting on the bandwagon and understanding that chemicals are not the way. But, you know, there was, there's been a long, long period where that was not true. So what does exactly organic farming entail? And how do you grow the products without those chemicals? Right. Um, well, organic farming is really, you know, historically, before anybody was even talking about certification, it was about my, my feeling that the most important thing about organic farming is that it, it talks about and thinks about how we can, as human beings, be part of the process of, grazing, of raising food as opposed to dominating it. And I think that that's probably the crux of the issue is that when human beings feel that they need to um, come up with newer, better, more scientific ways to do things rather than um, taking a look at how nature has really managed affairs for yeah. billions of years. So you're thinking it's better to let it grow than make it grow? Um, help it. Yeah, be there to uh, support it in and collaborate with it growing right rather than making it grow. Good. Well put. Okay. And there's more to the value of organic farming than simply the removal of toxic substances from your food. It, it also is important to the water supply and to lots of, uh, well, a number of other things, right? What are some of those other things? Well, I think the most important thing, and this is not just that organic growers are doing this, but anybody who is paying attention to 
um, the issues around um, carbon dioxide and its release into the atmosphere. Now, that's been happening for a long time. We've been using plows for 7,000 years, but we've also been um, extracting coal and oil and all sorts of things from the from the earth and then burning them and adding too much carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. So that's where we get that, you know, that global warming and that, um, you know, warming of the poles and all the erratic weather that we're having. So um, I think one of the more important things to think about for organic and for any kind of farming right now is how can we rebuild our soils, get the, the carbon back into the soils. That's really um you know, food will grow more nutritiously with more carbon in the soil because carbon is the currency of the uh, microorganisms that live in the soil. And they basically run the show um, in a natural system when you aren't dousing it with chemicals. They're the ones who, who make the relationships with the roots of the plants to help them. Um, they're, they're working with each other. The, the plant is photosynthesizing and sending carbon into the soil through its roots. And the plants are, I mean, excuse me, and the microbes are essentially eating those, um, those exudates, those root exudates, sugars basically. And in return, they're doing these services of feeding, sending back to the plants what they need in terms of minerals and vitamins and things like that. So there's this wonderful, wonderful underground economy that has been, you know, functioning for since we've had plants on this earth um, that um, keeps everybody um, happy. And the the plants, more, the more they photosynthesize, the more carbon they bring back into the soil. And you know, that's really uh, should be the goal of any farmer at this point in time is to think about how they can um, be net carbon positive in terms of how much carbon they get back into the soil rather than burning it up in their practices. Can you explain, you started to a little bit, the process of certification and how I can know that it's really, really, really not going to have any pesticides on it. Let me tell you a little story before you continue, Julie. It's Julie Rawson, Executive Director of the Northeast Organic Farming Association. So I went to some, I went to a farmer's market where they had a bunch of farmers with stalls. And I, I would go there, I've been going on a fairly regular basis, or I did up to a point. And I went there once and I said, okay, I, I don't mind paying more because this stuff has no pesticides, right? And they said, that's right, no pesticides, that's right. So I'm buying the stuff and paying a lot of money, and then maybe two months later, I, I buy stuff and... I said, man, it's so great. There's no pesticides on here. And the uh, this new salesperson said, oh, no, there's pesticides on here. Yeah, yeah, there's pesticides. It's, you know, it's, it's locally. I, I said, well, then why am I paying more? Well, it's locally sourced. What do I care if it's locally sourced? I don't care where it comes from. I just don't want to be poisoned to death. death. That's all I care from, care about. So which is it? And how can I be sure if there's pesticides on this stuff or not? And as an aside, I think it's important for these farms and the people that work for them to get trained so everybody's on the same page and they're not, they're not either making a mistake or lying to me. So how do I know if it's really got pesticides on it or not, Julie? Uh -huh. Are you asking me? Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, first of all, you know, just as a, an aside or as a point of reference, there are probably pesticides on everything these days because 
I was speaking earlier about the use of glyphosate, and that's pretty ubiquitous. Um, and it's in the air, it's in the water. So there are pesticide residues in probably all of the food that we eat. So we have to understand that at a minimum. Right, that, but she was you saying... Know, life, is not, life is pretty toxic right now. But I'm talking so, about putting more bad stuff on, on it them, to yeah. keep bugs off. And right. I get mixed messages. I cannot get a straight answer. Even from... Here's another brief story. I was getting stuff delivered to my door. Big box of organic stuff. I felt all, all great. Here I am getting pesticide-free stuff. And I said again, hey, this is great that it's pesticide-free. Like, oh no no they use pesticides mm-hmm. well, well what's the big deal okay why is it so, expensive well it's it's sustainably grown again i know i'm supposed to care about sustainably grown right. i don't really i care about getting poisoned to death right right so there are a lot of words that people use sustainably grown means nothing um you know naturally grown means nothing um certified organic means something uh, when people are certified organic and they have the paperwork to show it, a label to show it, USDA organic, or in this case in, in Massachusetts, a lot of growers are certified by the Bay State Organic Certifying Certifiers Association. Um, there are other certifiers around to QAI and um, a, a number of organizations that certify organic. So, you know, if you want to um, be sure that someone is certified organic, then you can ask for their paperwork um, if you're if you're at a farmer's market. You can ask for a copy of their papers work, a paperwork. You can ask them who their certifier is, and then go online and see if they're on the list, or you can call their certifier. Um, so sometimes people um, do say that they're certified and they're not. Sometimes people say they're organic, but they're not certified organic. Isn't that a um, crime? Wouldn't that be a crime? Well. It is illegal to say that you're certified when you're uh, that you're organic when you're not certified at this point because the the USDA does own the word organic. Um, there is a, an exception for people who who bring in uh, less than five thousand dollars a year. They don't have to get certified. But anybody else who says they're organic, and if you're at a Boston farmers market, they're probably you know there's no question that they're making more than five thousand dollars a year. So more than five thousand dollars a year. Excuse me, fewer than five thousand dollars a year. They can say. They're organic without producing certification. Right, exactly. So you don't really know. Right, you don't know. But you can always go to their farm. Um, you can go to their website. I mean, I think it's important for people to know their farmers and to know, to question about their practices. And I think it's also important um, beyond certification, you want the food to taste really good. And, um, again, you know, not um, all farmers are are growing food yet in a way that is really, um, I'm not going to say sustainable, but regenerative for the soil. We have a very eroded, degraded soils um, that have been, well, first of all, you know, um, you know, a white man's, I will say, agriculture in this country um, has been a case of going through using the land and moving west, essentially, since we came here, you know, in the 1600s. We've been burning out the soils and going west and finding new land. And so there hasn't been a sustainable, um, for the most part, um, farming practices in this country from the start. Uh, when people got into organic, they were, there was an att- that was an attempt to really start to bring back things and be more in, in tune with the earth. But Sadly, a lot of organic farmers are doing a lot of the same practices. Of I mean, They don't use chemicals, but they're still using a lot of tillage. And tillage is very destructive of the soil 
um, microorganisms that we talked about earlier. There's a particular, um, the, the mycorrhizal fungi are the ones who really um, are most impacted by, by um, tillage, and they're the ones who really hold together the internet of the soil of the, all the microbia that live there. So uh, when people are using a, a lot of tillage or if they're using a lot of black plastic or all these things and not growing green plants, that's essentially, you know, that's how we're going to rebuild soil. At the same time, it's going to make the food taste better. So certification, organic certification is a great step along that pathway. And then we also need to think about, you know, is that food actually, um, is it raised in a fashion that it's actually good for me? Not only is it not poisonous, but is it really good for me? And I think that's one of the things that we're trying to do in NOFA right now is to help educate growers, be they gardeners or, or farmers, to understand how to use more carbon sequestering practices on their farms while being um, organic or certified organic also. Wow, you, you're pretty conversant in all, in all this. You must have gone to organic university, right? Uh, well, I'm a farmer. Okay. And I, uh, <laughs> really? Where's your farm? I'm a college dropout, actually. Where's your farm? Uh, we're in Barrie, about 72 miles straight west of, of Boston. Barrie, Massachusetts? Yeah, right in the center. Does your stuff get delivered to Boston? Um, well, not usually delivered, but you can come out and buy it if you want. We, um, we have lots of wonderful meat, and uh, you know, we do turkeys for Thanksgiving, and beef and pork and chicken and such. And plus, okay. our, you know, our produce doesn't get delivered there. I'll but, come out um, there if the MBTA goes out there. Are they, are they, do they go out there? Who's that? The MBTA. Oh, no, no, the MBTA does not go to Barry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm out of luck. Okay, what about a resource where people can go to learn more on their own? Yeah, well, uh, about what I'm talking about, the Northeast Organic Farming Association, Massachusetts chapter is NOFA Mass, N-O-F-A-M-A-S-S dot O-R-G. Um, we have a lot of stuff on there. We have a lot of meetings and workshops and conferences and publications the resource page, um, there's a carbon page, so nofamass.org slash carbon, where we have some, we have a, the organic, uh, we have the carbon sequestering garden, which is a new publication we put out. We have carbon restoration, can biology do the job? These are a couple of our publications. There are a lot of videos there that really explain people about this process. I think the, the exciting news about um, being in charge of your food like that is that number one, you're really getting good food that's good for you and your body and your children and all that. But you, and and you are also um, having an impact on climate change in a really positive way. I tell you what, if I lived in a place that had some place to have a garden, I would have a garden. That's how I would know I was getting good food. I don't yeah. have that. I'm going to have to depend on friends to give but me you can, you their can extra go, you tomatoes. Can, you can garden in a community garden. I mean, I think almost all communities have these places where people, and it's really, you know, people are coming back to gardening in a, in a wonderful way um, and, you know, taking control of their food. How does, how does that work? Where do oh, I find it? Well, um, I, would check, I would check the trustees of reservations. They have um, gardening sites all over the city of Boston. And, the, you know, the community gardens that you can join in and get a, a plot. So I'm not sure, um, you know, in, in, in your neighborhood particularly, but that's one uh, place to start. It's interesting that there's a lot of good. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? 
In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good growing going on in the city of Boston, and there's a lot of support for it. So it's pretty exciting. Um, you know, that a lot of people do want to get their hands in the dirt, and um, so it's, it's, there is that opportunity available. Okay. And, well, since you're a farmer, I mean, this is a tack I hadn't planned on taking, but since you're a farmer and you're talking about community gardening, maybe you can help would-be gardeners with some tips on how to do it right and grow stuff mm-hmm. uh, sustainably and carbon-replacingly, et cetera. And <laughs> this would be great for folks listening on the podcast because they can reference it, maybe listen to it over and over again because it's tough to remember everything. Mm-hmm. So tell us what we need to know to grow right. Um, well, I think there are some basic principles that are going to be a hold true no matter you know what you call it, and they are about keeping the soil covered as much as you can. So um, bare soil is really anathema in nature. Um, soil was not um, developed by God or whoever developed our soils with the idea in mind that rainwater um, could, you know, it actually is, has a really negative impact on it because it hits the soil and kind of destroys those, those particles. So if you notice, you'll think any, any system where you see where there's bare soil, a weed will first up and then grass and then trees and yep. then you all of a sudden have an old growth forest and that's that's nature's way of keeping itself clothed so keeping the soil covered um, number two keeping it covered with green growing plants um, the way that you build soil is by having something for the microbes to eat um, just think about the millions and billions of uh, we'll call them people that are down there under the soil that are, they need to eat for a living. And the way they eat is if they are getting fed through the roots of plants. That's so you have plants around your, that are not your plants you're growing. You have other plants? Well, they have relationships with all sorts of plants, whatever a growing plant is. Um, you'll notice a lot of people talk about invasives, you know, like Japanese knotweed and things like that that are growing around oftentimes a lot in the city, and there's a desire to get rid of them because they're invasive. But really what it, it is, again, nature trying to clothe herself to get cleaned up and to be, you know, to rebuild and um, rejuvenate herself. So, you know, you can do that with your vegetable plants. You can use, um, while, while you're raising your vegetable plants, you can use um, intersown cover crops of various sorts to add more diversity to the soil. Every single different kind of plant that um, is in the soil is going to have a different relationship with um, a different set of microbial partners. Okay. So you're saying that if I have a bunch of tomatoes and mm-hmm. six square feet, Mm-hmm. That I should have other little bitty plant introduce other little bitty plants around the tomatoes. You could, um, and you know there are two things you can always mulch your plants with hay or straw or yeah, you know newspaper and things on top of that. That's really because that will really support the 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 soil. Uh, first of all, won't be fractured by rain by yeah, rain, but it'll also yeah. um, 
make it easier. Earthworms love it under there, and when earthworms are present, then the microbes are happy. So Um, black plastic is bad, right? Well, I don't want to use the word bad. I don't use black plastic. I think that natural um, um, sources of mulch are always better because that gives something for the um, microbes to eat, to break down. You need a lot of carbon dioxide, believe it or not. We, we have high levels in our atmosphere, but in, in terms of the plant having enough um, uh, carbon dioxide to actually grow, it needs to have um, access to that. And one of the ways that that can happen is through um, breaking down um, organic matter that's in the soil. Yeah, so hay mulch is way better. And it seems to me that since plastic is not breathable, you're interrupting with the breathing of the the whole gas exchange thing with black plastic. That's right. That's right. You are. Plus, then you throw it in the... yourself an opportunity to build as much organic matter as possible, which is really what... A good farming and good gardening is about um, building as much organic um, matter as possible while you're growing. Nice. So, and, and even if you, when you throw away the black plastic, it ends up in that big pile Dumpster of trash in the Pacific right. Ocean. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Um, so the other thing to point to think about, you know, off-season when you're not growing things, I mean, so what we try to do here is, is have cover crops growing during the season, but even if you aren't that intricate, you want to have something growing throughout the winter. So that's an opportunity um, nearing the end, you know, let's say in, in Boston, right, maybe around August 15th, um, September 1st, or even as late as September 15th, you guys have, you know, a later frost season than we do here. Um, you could plant um, a, a combination of of cover crops um, that are in the family that, like, you could plant sunflowers and buckwheat and some oats and some peas and some crimson clover and a few things like that that are going to grow long into the fall, and then, um, you know, they're going to die slowly over the winter, but then uh, they're going to leave a residue on the soil so that there's um, the soil being protected. Well, it sounds like stuff growing on your farm must be awful good. Uh, it is. Our food is really good, yes. <laughs> okay, what about any advanced tips for people who are already gardening? Like my friend Lydia is pretty woke gardener, but anything really advanced that might be good for her? Um, I think to, uh, you know, as much diversity as possible. That's another thing nature In loves. In choice diversity. of uh, crops? In terms of crops, yeah. Um, and, you know, to have um, some, depending on how much space you have, you know, things that are going to attract pollinators, so flowers and herbs and, you know, using perennials in your system, so perennial, perennial herbs, which are really good for you anyway, um, and, you know, perennial flowers, which are going to attract the bees and the native pollinators. You, when you build that diverse system, uh, you have a, a more vibrant, healthier system of, uh, you know, your food is going to be better. Well, I'm looking at gardening in a whole new way. I used to look at it like, oh, my, when I was a kid, oh, my God, I got to pull those giant ragweeds. Mm-hmm. I didn't like it. <laughs> ragweeds turned, are hard to get out. It turned me off gardening. You know, I was probably three feet tall, and the weeds were probably three feet tall. Yeah. Well, the thing is that those those annual weeds are really there to save us, and we need to understand that when you see ragweed and when you see pigweed or lamb's quarter or gallon soga or some of these weeds, they're, they are there to, they, they show up in disrupted soils, and so they're there to keep that soil covered. 
if you quit um, tilling your soil, if you start just using, you know, you can um, maybe get a, a start on your soil by laying down a bunch of cardboard and some hay and, and letting that those die. And then, and then build into your, you know, it's going to take a couple years for the soil to get softer and easier to handle, but you can still do your growing in a no-till fashion. I think that's, a, that's an important so thing. So no-till, does that include no hoeing? Well, you know, minimal. Really? Um, and, and really, um, when you stop um, disrupting the soil so severely, you're going to get less annual weeds anyway. They're just ah, not going to come back. Because they grow in disrupted soil. That's exactly right. Is there a book, like the handbook, the Bible, of how to do this? Um, boy. Well, I think, you know, there are lots of, lots of good books out there. I think what I would encourage people to do to start with is our publication called The Carbon Sequestering Garden. Um, you can download it from our website, or you can buy it from us at 5 bucks. you know, just a cost of, of printing. Okay, and your website is what again? It's uh, nofamass.org, N-O-F-A-M-A-S-S. Dot org and then slash carbon um, you'll find it under those resources that that particular book it's a nice start okay Frank in Boston has a question hi Frank uh, just one for two questions um, how do you feel about hydroponic and the gardening uh-huh and I and and also um, because of the lack of research is there any potential usage for weeds at all? Yeah, okay. So hydroponics, uh, you know, that's a, that was a big uh, debate. And all, you know, after a lot of debate and a lot of farmers who were, um, had been organic for a while were very upset that um, there's, there is now, and basically they lost, and that hydroponic is now an acceptable organic practice. Um, there are a lot of people who feel that if you aren't growing something in soil, it's really not, um, you know, nutritious for you, I guess. Um, you know, I, I do think that people with these aquaponic systems where they're using fish waste and it is possible to raise nutritious crops in, an, in, a, in a hydroponic fashion, but most of the hydroponic growing is just really um, like giving plants an IV drip. Okay, what's the other question? Is there a use for weeds? Well, I don't know what you mean. But yeah, maybe... well, absolutely. Weeds are, um, a lot of weeds are very nutritious, like, like um, lamb's quarter, for example, um, probably has a lot more nutrition than things like spinach oftentimes. Um, wow. And, you know, a lot of the perennial weeds, like um, dandelions, um, there's no part of the dandelion that isn't fantastic for you. It's a liver tonic and... It's a you know to brighten you up in the springtime the greens, but the the roots you can also turn into a tea. Um, burdock has a fantastic um, impact on the liver. So does yellow dock. A lot of these um, perennial um, weeds, as we call them, have really really strong um, nutritive and also curative um, you know uh, capabilities. And there's there's lots of research on the on the internet. Um, can you even a, eat the flower? Um, yeah, I think the flowers have value, too. Uh, on the dandelion, as I understand it, they, they all, yeah, it's all good for you. Do you have to cook it, or can you just eat it? Um, no, I think you can eat those things raw. Um, oh, but, but, you know, the, the greens, I mean, I harvest dandelions during, during the season and then dry them and have them in tea all, year, all winter long and all, all winter long to, wow. to really improve. So um, there you go, Frank. Hydroponics, huh? meh, and weeds, yes. Thank you, Frank. <laughs>
So what about GMOs? Can are GMOs bad, and can they be used in something and have it still be certified organic? Um, well, in my opinion, GMOs are really bad. Yeah, I mean that's a, the the ultimate hubris of the humankind to suggest that we can um, be more intelligent about what you know how things should be evolving. Yes, everything evolves, and you know there's a um, there, you know, evolution definitely happens, but for ha- having people to jump in and try to splice genes into things is very dangerous, and it's still unclear what kind of impact that has on people's health and uh, healthy of the environment and the runaway genes that can be let, you know, loose into the environment when people start um, messing around with that. Um, it's you definitely GMOs are not um, certified organic. There okay. was a, an attempt even at the beginning to make them organic, but we fought that and um, won on that topic. All right. Next, when I go to, say, Trader Joe's, or mm-hmm. I don't want to pick on them, any market, and there are two, there's the organic and there's the not organic. And in that case, can I really trust that, what is it, a little symbol, a a stamp. Can I really trust that it's really organic in a place like that? Yes, I think you can. Um, there's, if it has a USDA um, organic label on it, and are you talking about produce particularly? Yes. Yeah, you can trust that it is has been raised in, in an organic fashion. Is organic wine any good? Um, well, my husband makes fantastic organic wine. He does. Uh, okay. <laughs> so the answer is yes. Yeah. Do you uh, have you thought about? Growing organic um, cannabis. Um, I haven't. That's really all the rage right now, and a lot of people are seeing, uh, you know, raising cannabis and hemp, particularly hemp, more likely um, as a way to, you know, make it finally in farming. A lot of folks have a hard time making it in farming, but um, yeah, I mean, a lot of people have been growing organic cannabis uh, illegally for years and years throughout the, you know, across the country. So. It's an interesting conversation, but the regulations around that are so severe right now. Yeah, but you could just, you know, you have, you could do 12 plants, right? Yeah, I think that's right. Or six plants, I think, per person, yeah. With a maximum of two per household. Yeah, Two people per household. So you have all the tools to make organic stuff. I would think you would experiment with it just as a hobby. Well, you know, I'm not a pot smoker, so I just um, haven't gone there. But a lot of people are. (laughs) Okay. And how do you know? Actually, I'll ask. I'll go to. Well, I thought we had a caller, but no. How do you know you're not getting ripped off and overcharged for organic? Here's another story. I won't name the market, but I'm picturing it in my mind. They had a regular cabbage for two bucks, had an organic red cabbage. They charged $12. Now, I mm-hmm. got. You know, it, it said three, like three ninety nine. I thought, oh, the whole thing is three ninety nine. No, it was three ninety nine a pound. Mm-hmm. It cost twelve bucks. Mm-hmm. So I felt like, well, I was livid and felt like I'm being ripped off. Mm-hmm. That's that's way over the top, right? Well, here's the problem in this country um, because of the um, incredible subsidies for conventional agriculture, particularly for, uh, you know, GMO, corn and soy, um, uh, you know, lots and lots of tax dollars, your tax dollars, my tax dollars are being paid, are out to support 
um, you know, this, uh, what do you call it, um, industrial agricultural okay. um, habits. And there is a very small amount of money, actually. There is some money for um, people who, who get certified. We get certified. It costs us $1,000 a year to get certified. And we're able to get uh, $750 of that back. Um, through the cost share program, but the, but the um, the federal subsidies for organic are very very light and lean compared to what they are for conventional agriculture. And what happens then in this country is that we have this cheap food, um, and people think that their food should be very cheap. And and not only is it um, unhealthy for us, but we have really um, our cheap food policy has really had a huge impact on. You know, why are people crossing the border from Mexico? Because they're starving to death at home, because we disrupted their local farming economy by flooding their markets with cheap corn. I don't think I can, you know, if my cabbage costs 12 bucks, then then a normal $80 shopping is going to be 400 bucks. An $80 what, say? What would have been $80 shopping uh-huh. Trip well, would be four hundred dollars. Yeah. I guess the the situation is that in our country we're way down on the bottom of the list of of how much money we pay for our food, and, and you know places like Italy, um, where they you know the cost of living is higher than obviously poor countries. People often pay more money for their food. We pay more money. We pay twenty percent, twenty to twenty five percent of our our out of pocket costs are for health care. Um, 10% is for our food. Some cultures pay more like 37 to 50% for their food. So you're and, basically saying i got to get used to the $12 cabbage. Well, uh, the question is, I think, do you want to pay for your health now or later? And if you are eating poison food, your health is going to degrade in a way that, um, you know, are you going to end up doing health care things or are you going to end up doing nutritional Alternative so twelve dollars kind of, is not as insane as I thought it was. I don't think it's as insane it's a as, cabbage. as you thought it was. My God, I, I'm really going to have to. It's going to take something to wrap my head around that. Yeah. Well, one of the things you can do is to join a CSA. You, uh, you know about those, do you? You said you had boxes delivered to your house. Yeah, I did. Um, they so, said though that they use pesticide. Yeah. Well, there are good. Um, I mean, I think Boston Organics is um, delivers in Boston, but yeah. there are a lot of CSAs they, around, and those yeah. are direct connections with a farm and generally it's a good deal you gave us a lot of great information thank you julia rosson the boss over there at nofa northeast organic farming association well come on out to the farm sometime great right. guest and i would love to meet you thank you <laughs> all righty all right that was another jay talking podcast if you loved what you heard like and review the show it helps others find us subscribe to jay talking wherever you listen to podcasts and never miss an episode Follow me on Twitter for show updates. And as always, you can catch the show live every weeknight starting Sunday, midnight to 5 on WBZ, Boston's News Radio. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.